Let's all go ahead and open with prayer. And we're going to be in Galatians 3. Lord, we thank you for this time as we come to worship you with uh, just through your word and the teaching of your word. And we ask that you be with us and lead and guide in all that we have to cover today. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received you the spirit of, by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? <coughs> Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be in vain? He, therefore, that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, does he by the works of the law, or by the hearing of the faith? We're going to look at this, you know, we've been talking again, setting the pace. Uh, Paul is writing to the Galatians because the Judaizers have come in after him and telling them that Paul didn't give them the whole, the whole truth. They had to... You know, you get saved by faith, but then you have to keep yourself by works. That's what, that's what the Judaizers were telling them. And this is Paul's letter back to them. And it says, Oh, foolish Galatians. And he's saying by here, you know, misunderstanding, lack of understanding. You're, 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 you're not wise. He goes, you know, I gave you teachings, and now you want to go back to the old things that these men, men have taught you. Uh, you know, how often do we do the same thing? We are foolish. We know that God says something and we go back and go and live in the past. We want to go backwards. And God's saying, I've taught you. You're walking by grace. You're teaching by grace. And he goes on and says, who has bewitched you? And that's kind of an interesting term. It, the idea in the, in, the, in the Greek on this word is who's given you the evil eye to turn you back from what you already know? Now, and I've never really understood that term, evil eye. It, it's, it's big in certain places, but it's that idea of, you know, somebody giving you that look that is bewitching you, that's making you do something you don't want to do. So Paul's really kind of getting almost in a silly way to them, you know, but yet in their generation, they would have believed in this magic, the, eye, the, look of, the, the magic of a look of an eye. And it says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth. Obey the truth. Be persuaded of the truth. Hear and obey. Paul has given them the truth. He's taught them about grace. He's taught them, and we covered a lot about that, for, that we're saved by grace, not of works. That we are, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have a free gift from him. And the Judaizers were coming in and saying, it's not enough. Think about this. The work of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, the Judaizers were coming in and saying, well, that's just not enough. It's just not enough. You're, you've got to do things to earn your salvation. It's a free gift, but you've got to go do something. And Paul's saying, who has persuaded you not to believe the truth? Yeah. Who has persuaded us? How many times are we persuaded of that truth? God, I've got to go do something to show you to prove that I can keep my salvation. We may not say it quite that bluntly, but sometimes we do act that way. You know, I've had people go, I've, I've got to do this, that, and the other thing because that is what I've got to do for God. Well, that's all fine and dandy. If God told you to do it, be my guest. Be doing it all the time. 
But if you've got somebody telling you that this is what you've got to do, then you've got the wrong problem. Because the Judaizers were coming in and saying, hey, Paul gave you this grace stuff and that's all good, but you've got to follow these rules. How many rules did they have? They were Judaizers. They brought in 613 rules to be followed. You know, it was good that you got saved and it was all by grace, but now here's, here's what you've got to do to be one of God's children. You've got to follow these rules. Now, we've talked about this. Is there anything bad about the law? Absolutely not. The laws are not bad. The law was given, as Paul told us in, in Romans, is that the law was there to let us know that we are sinners. We will not get justified by keeping the laws. We will not make God like us better by following rules and laws. He loves us. He sent his son to die for us. Does that mean he doesn't want us to follow the laws and rules? No. But we're not following them in order to please him. He's not going to say, okay, you followed all these rules, so you're, you're better than everybody else. Because it is Jesus Christ's sacrifice that brings us into his glory. Jesus paid the price of the law. He fulfilled the law. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to start following some of the laws. God says, okay, now I want you to do this. And I've and shared with you, God, God is, each one of our life is working out our salvation. He's going to say, this is something you can't do. And he's going to give you the scriptures and say, this is now to you a rule that you've got to keep that I have given you. Not that some man has given to you, not that some person has given to us, but he gives us these. And we've talked about this. God's laws come out of who he is. If God is dwelling inside me, and he is if, I've, if I'm a child of God, if he is dwelling inside of me, and he is, I will be living him out of me because he is in me. He will change who I am to be who he is. And I will start being more and more like the one who indwells me, like the one that I'm worshiping. It is not a struggle. It is not a, not a hard thing to do. It's like being a member of a family, because we are a member of a family. But if you're a member of a family, you become like your family. You think like they do. You act like they do. Why? Because that's who you spend your time with. That's, that's who's, who's influencing you. you know, how many times have you had, you know, especially for those who have grown kids now, but your kids start acting just like you? And I mean just like you, not just the good parts that you wanted them to copy. But you'll hear the words that you say coming out of their mouth, even when they're the words that you didn't want them to learn, or the attitudes you wanted them to learn, or the thoughts that you wanted them to learn. We become like those that we spend time with. The more time we spend with God, the more we are going to speak and act like him. Just as in the family example, not 100% like him, because many of our kids will do things different. You, know, you can have a, a family that has nothing but conservative thinking people and still end up with a liberal in the family. You can end up with a liberal thinking family that still can end up with a conservative in the family. Okay, it, it doesn't mean you're gonna absolutely 100%, but their, their thoughts will be colored by the family they grew up in. We are Christians, we're in a new family. Tuesday we talked about adoption, adoption, because we're told so many times that we are adopted into God's family. And I'm going to highlight this if you want to get, you know, get the whole teaching on it that's on the, on the webpage on, uh, for Tuesday. But the Roman adoption was quite interesting. 
you know, we in, we in our day and age think of adoption as little babies, little kids, you know, raise up these kids. In the Roman times, they adopted an adult male from a lower economic class than they were. And it was all for getting an heir for their family. Okay? And it was a quite an interesting ceremony. The person that was doing the adopting, they would take, they'd take the adopter, the adoptee, and go before the courts. And they would ask the adopter, do you want to adopt this, this, uh, this person into your family? He'd have to say yes. The adoptee would be asked, do you want to be adopted into this family? And he would have to say yes. And then they go to the people, do you approve of it? Do you realize how great a picture that is? Number one, being a, an adult from a lower class, Jesus, or God, the Father, decides to adopt a child, us. He's, he's asked by the courts of heaven, do you want to adopt this child? Yes, I'm sending my son to pay the price. We have to agree to accept that gift. Yes, I want to be adopted into the family of God. And, the, and then the courts of heaven agree. That child was then totally removed from his old family. All ties to the old family were cut. Any debts that he owed were canceled. Any contracts that he had were canceled. And he was now a new member of a new household given a brand new name. We were in that same place. Once we're adopted into the family of God, our debt to sin is canceled. Our contracts, we are totally severed from the life of the family of Adam. And we are placed in the family of Christ, family of God. Powerful. If we can grab hold of the power of that picture, I am no longer connected to the family of Adam. Even though I've got a flesh and it wants to sin, my ties, as far as God's concerned, are severed from the family of Adam. I am a family of God. I hope you understand the power of that. When you have a temptation that says, I'm just too weak, I'm not, everything's going wrong, you're in a new family. You've been given a brand new name. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we're a new creation. We're a brand new creation in Christ because we have a new family, a new name. Paul is telling the Ephesians, you have forgotten that truth. <laughs> you had a new family and you're being tricked. <laughs> you're being tricked to go back to your old family. Very sad point of view. But we don't want to be too hard on the Galatians because we all do it. <laughs> we all do it. We all kind of fall back and say, God, uh, I'm getting trapped by the old. And God is saying, you're in a new family. You've got new, new things. He says, in verse 2, And only this what I learn of you, received you the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the works of, the, of grace, of faith. Think about this. What did you do to become a Christian? You accepted a gift. To truly become a Christian, that's all it is. It's saying, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I accept the gift of your life. Simple prayer. Simple belief. You have to believe it. It's not just the words that get you there. I meet lots of people who have said, well, I said a prayer when I was, you know, fill in the blank for the age. <laughs> you know, so I know, that I, I know that I'm a Christian going to heaven because I said a prayer. Well, the prayer of salvation aren't magic words. It's not abracadabra, you're saved. It's God, I am a sinner that deserves punishment and believing it. 
believing it, knowing that I deserve that punishment. Because if I don't believe I deserve that punishment, I have nothing to repent from. And then asking him to come into my life. Then he comes in and he makes us a new creation. And oh man, when the change that comes in, I love watching people get saved. I love seeing the light come across their face, the, the, the weight of sin is lifted up off of them. And you can see the change in their, in their, just their physical appearance that God has done something. And then you watch God change their life. And there's so many individuals in this church, I'm watching God change their lives and seeing the, the difference from what they were a year and a half, two years ago, you know, when I first met people here. Seeing the change that God is making in them as they grow. And this is what I tell people. If you're not changing, if you can't point to your life and see a place where I am changing, then you need to really look and say, am I saved? I can't judge it. Nobody else knows you can judge it. But you need to look back and say, am I truly saved? I can guarantee, I know I'm truly saved because I can look back over my life and see all the places where God has changed my life. Even from the very first day when God took away a very vicious temper that I had. As a young child, I had a very vicious temper and God took away most of that vicious temper. At least I don't lash out at everybody once a week. <laughs> but God took away a temper in me and changed me. And he's done many great things since. It's so important. Now, am I saying that's going to be the only sign? No, you'll have your own sign. You'll have your own place that God has changed on you. I've seen people who their whole life has been changed upside down overnight. And then there's people like me where it's been very slow. You know, God, I, God, I'm very hard-headed. God has had to pound me with a two-by-four many times to get me to, to accept things. I'm getting better, getting, getting quicker. But God is saying he has done the work. I didn't earn anything. I could not earn anything. Because no flesh will stand in the presence of God. And I'm going to, you know, we looked at this. This is a, a topic that God has so many times in here that no flesh stands before him. Romans 3.20 says, by, by deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for it is by, by the law is the knowledge of sin and that's Romans 3.23. The law is there to give us the knowledge that we are sinners. We can't work good enough to please God. God's standard is simple. Perfection. Once you've slipped from perfection, you cannot please God. You don't deserve God. There's nothing you can do. There's no amount of good that you can do that outweighs one bad, one bad sin. This is why it's sad when people will go out and they'll go, I just want to do more good than bad and then I'll be okay with God. That's what the world teaches. And if you talk to enough people, they're really going to say, well, I just think I'm good. I just hope I'm good enough to get into heaven. And their idea is that somehow the good will outweigh the bad. The problem is that one sin puts the scale irre irrevocably to the bad side. No matter how much good you put on it does not matter because it will not move the one sin. Because God's standard is perfection. The only way we are saved is by the gift that he gives us, a free gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. And once you accept that gift, you have eternal life. 
I like it when people try to say, well, you can lose your eternal, you know, you can lose your, you lose your salvation. Well, I'm sorry, I have eternal life. I don't know why you define eternal life, but I define eternal life as eternal. It doesn't end. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not God saying, okay, you have eternal life until I take it away from you. It wouldn't be eternal if, he could t if even he took it away from us. He does not take away. Once you are saved, you are saved. You may not have a lot of rewards. You may, you may live terribly. But if you are truly saved, you're saved. Now, I would, I would suggest that if you could live a terrible life after you think you're saved, that you might have some other problems. You might not be saved. You may never have truly believed what you said to be saved. Because if God hasn't changed you and isn't changing you, you have, a, you have to be concerned. If you look and say, God, you're changing me and thank you, you don't ever have to be concerned, even if you fall, ba fall backwards. Because God's gift, it's his gift. I don't work at it. I don't, I don't, there's nothing I did that deserves God doing this. When Jesus died on the cross, none of us deserved him dying on our cross, on the cross. We were his enemy when he died for us. When he talks about loving your enemy, that's us. We were his enemy, and then he gives us, gives us a free gift of God, and we become his children. No longer his enemy, part of his family that he loves so greatly and wants to go forward with. Paul is rebuking the, the and he says, did you start? How did you start? Go back to the beginning. And sometimes we need to do that, go back to the beginning. We need to put landmarks on where God has done things for us. We talked about that in the Sunday school class this morning. Put him back. What has God done for you? Have you remembered what God has done for you? Because when you're in hard times, you want to remember. When, when was a time that he got you out of a jam? When did he save your life? Maybe he saved your life physically. Now, we've, we've shared my wife's story, driving down the road with a, in our van and had a broken tie rod and make three turns. <laughs> she always says she's going to know her angel when she gets to heaven. He's going to be the one that's covered with all the, all the road grime. <laughs> yeah. And... You know, in case you don't know, you can't make a turn without a tie rod. <laughs> uh, she made three of them. <laughs> and you go, well, maybe the tie rod broke after. No, the tie rod gouged the road all the way on all three turns. Uh, you know, has God made changes in your life? Are they something that you celebrate? When things are going bad for you, do you remember what God has done for you? If you can't remember what God's done for you, at least remember what God's done in the Bible. <laughs> but if we can remember what God has done for us, it's so much more personal. God, I remember the time that you got me out of this financial bind. God, I remember the time you, you've protected my life. God, I remember the time that you've protected my children. We remember the things that he's done for us and celebrate them. Share them with other people because other people need that testimony. Other people need to know what God is doing, not 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago in the Bible, not for all the different missionaries and, and stuff that we read about in biographies, you know, these great people that are doing things for God. But what is he doing for each one of us individually? What's he doing for our friends? I encourage people, share what God does for you because it builds people up. It builds their faith up. That God is not just somebody working in the past. He's somebody who's working now. Everything that happened in the Bible is happening today. It's an amazing thing when you start reading biographies of some of these missionaries and, and stories about different people and how God has used them. And some of the miraculous things that God does to reach people. And some of the miraculous things he's done for probably people in this room that haven't shared it with other people. 
the, the miracles that God has performed in their life. We want you to remember those things. Bring them out. Know that it's not by works of the law, but works of grace. He says, are you so foolish or un, of, of non-understanding, having begun in the spirit that you are now made perfect in the flesh? And this perfect means mature. mature. He goes, so he's saying, is it, you're being foolish. Is it, you started out in the spirit, now you've got to keep it? You somehow have to, have to grow yourself. You're going to somehow be perfect before God when nothing that you do in the flesh is going to stand in his presence? And we oftentimes will do that same thing, won't we? We'll just start getting bound up in a bunch of rules. Sometimes churches help out in those rules. You know, in the 50s and 60s, there was those great things. You know, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't go to the movies, you don't go to dancing, and that made you, that made you, you know, a godly Christian. Well, I don't know how that made it a godly Christian because I don't find anything in that in that list of those in the in the Bible. But that was really what was being taught. You know, you do these list of things, and every church had its own list. Now, in the 50s and 60s, if you if a man had long hair, oh my goodness, that was the end of the world. You know. Uh, and they based it on a Bible verse. <laughs> they based it on a Bible verse that is a shame unto a man to have long hairs. It says so in Deuteronomy. They based it on a verse. But you have to define what long hair was. <clears throat> you know, what we consider long hair today would be different from what they considered long hair. And it's funny, if you look at the styles of hair and, and what long hair would be defined as in a man was totally different in each generation. You know, most of these rules are always... Picking out a verse. Picking out a verse. They'll tell you that tattoos are terrible. The Bible tells you not to get a tattoo. And it does in Deuteronomy. But a tattoo in that day meant for the worship of an idol. Now most of the people I know that have tattoos aren't worshiping idols. And they're not getting themselves tattooed for resurrection of the dead. They just like tattoos for whatever reason. Now, and I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just we've got to be careful when we take these things out of context and start trying to apply them as... Here's a law that you've got to obey. And everybody who's been around Christianity long enough knows that each church has its little sets of rules that if you violate those rules, you're just a little less important than them because you just don't follow all the rules. Well, God's gift is, a gra- is by grace, not by rules, not by, by walking in things. God will tell you what to obey and what not to obey. He, it is all by the Spirit. Again, it's we have God living in us. He is going to live out of us. And because the laws are based on who he is, we will start obeying the laws just because he's living through us. He's crucified the flesh. He lives through us. He gives us those victories. Then he says, having suffered so many things in vain, if it be in vain, well, we don't know what Paul's talking about. We don't know what the Galatians suffered because there's nothing in the scriptures to tell us what he suffered. They're suffering from the Judaizers, we know that. They're trying to bring them under law. And that could be all he's referring to. But we don't know for sure what he's referring to in this case. He says, you've suffered. You've suffered. We suffer. When we choose to follow God, we are going to suffer. One of the things I hate about the uh, Western European version of Christianity is, get saved and everything's going to be good. I don't know how many people have you've ever heard somebody tell you that. And I've heard people tell people that on the street. Get saved. Jesus is the answer. You're going to, everything will be good once you get saved. What a setup of that is for people. Will it be good? Yes, it will be good. Because we have Christ. 
But we're also told that when we get saved, Jesus said, they hated me, they will hate you. It's, a, it's something we're already warned on. We're switching sides in the middle of a war. We're leaving Satan's camp and going into God's camp. He's not going to be a happy camper that we left. He is going to cause problems. He is going to cause temptations. He is going to make things hard on us. And we want to be able to realize that when we get saved, we have great strength. We are overcomers. We will be victorious in the long run. But life is not guaranteed to be easy. We're not going to have this rose-colored path to walk down. We are, we are thinking on the opposite of the world. The world says one thing, God says another thing. We're going to be very different from everybody we know, other than other Christians, and sometimes we'll be different from them because they're not thinking in the way of God. We want to be careful that we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer as Christians because life is short. And the good news, and we talked about this a couple of times, our life is short no matter what we look at. You know, even if you lived, let's say you lived to be 500 somehow. You know, we would think of that as a long life, wouldn't we? But when you've been with God in heaven, and this is, we use this term even though we, it's not true because there's no time in heaven. You've been in heaven for 10 million years, and you look back on this life, it's going to be nothing. This life is nothing. And it's all of God's gift that we're even going to be able to look back on it with joy. It's, it's going to be there. It, the suffering when we look back will be nothing. We'll just see the victory of God, what he did for us. You therefore, he that therefore ministered to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He, God, Jesus, ministers to us. Think about that, ministering to us. He gives us the Spirit. He gives us miracles. And I don't know about you, but I know that there's been miracles in my life. I've seen the miracles. I've seen many times where my family would invite people over to, to, to eat dinner after church, and, you know, especially in Guam, this happened a lot. And there'd be just so much food, and we'd have 20 or 30 people there. <coughs> and everybody got full, and the food was still, there was still food left in the bottom of the pot when we got done. And there's no way that there should have been food left in the bottom of the pot. Because you looked at the pot, you know, it's a you know, big, big pot, but it wasn't enough to feed 30 or 40 people. And yet, there were leftovers. The times that God has protected you. How many times have you been going down the road, you've been angry because you're running late, and you come up upon an accident? <coughs> you, know, you know, and you go, thank you, God, that I wasn't in the middle of the accident, because I might have been there if I'd have been here 10 minutes, 15 minutes earlier. Little miracles that God has out there for little things that he does for you opportunities for you to share Christ with somebody who's so ready to accept the gospel of Christ that they get saved without you doing and saying hardly anything happened last week here in the, in the, in the, in the back guy just came up, he asked for prayer I started talking to him and he ended up asking God to come into his heart you know, it was not by any eloquence that I did because I just gave him two verses and, and asked him if he wanted to know Jesus in that way and he got saved. I've also had people I've talked to from, you know, my whole heart out at him and not been, not seen him turn, turn, turn around. We need to understand God is working for us. He's working grace. He's not working law. 
Will we, will we get better? Will we walk more and more righteously in, in him as we go along and we're being sanctified? Absolutely. Absolutely we'll walk closer to him and we'll become more and more perfect. <coughs> but it is not because I'm trying to say, God, you, you know, I'm doing this so that I will have a special place in your heart. You're going to love me more because I'm doing good. No, I'm doing it because he is working through me. He's crucifying my flesh. He is making me more like him. This is what we're looking for. Don't ever even begin to think that, you're, that anything good is what you're doing for God. He is working for it through you. Our flesh will not stand before God. I have shared with this many times. There are many people that are going to think that they went to, when they get to heaven that God's got a lot of rewards for them, but they did everything in the flesh, and it is all going to burn up. Many teachers and pastors who teach every week are going to have much of what they what they did be burned up because it was done by who they are in their flesh. I guarantee you, I've probably got lots of things that are going to burn up because I've been teaching every, every week for a long time. And I can guarantee I know there's times when I have done it in my flesh and not in, in the spirit of God. Every one of us will have many things that will be burnt up. Only what God has done is going to last. I want to encourage you as you look at your life, do you know God? Do you have a personal relationship with God and you know that you're going to heaven? You know that he's changing your life? If not, I want to challenge you. Just admit to him that you're a sinner. You deserve hell. Ask him to come into your heart and change you. It's that simple. That simple, but you have to mean it. And if you do that, let me know because I want to know. I want to encourage you. I want to help you with studies. We're going to close in prayer and sing a couple songs. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each person that's here. We ask you, Lord, to, to be with us as we go forward today. Help us to see you in all that you would have us to do. Lead us, guide us, change us, make us who you want us to be. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.